0: Come on in. We were just talking. Welcome to the Open Marriage Podcast candid conversations about life, marriage, and parenting. More honesty than polyamory, but we talk about it all. I'm Summer, and I'm joined in conversation by my husband, Jason. For some reason, I'm very interested to talk about pleasure. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. And maybe sex.
1: Those things aren't synonymous. What it sounds like because you're separating them into two different categories.
0: Yeah, I did not realize that they have become very synonymous, and I put my foot in my mouth the other day. <laughs> Let's.
1: We'll talk about the foot fetish uh, later, but. Uh, <laughs> Tell me about this uh, embarrassing moment, because that'll get the heat off me.
0: Well, I've just really been trying to tune in ever so carefully to my senses and my own sense of pleasure, which has been very dulled. So uh, this is a practice of trying to bring it back on. I guess it started thinking about how Esther Perel talks about pleasure and sensuality, and that it's not linked solely to sex it is about the breeze on your skin smell of flowers or things like that
1: there's this anecdotal fact i've heard that you touch your face like 500 times a day or something like that and it's always brought up in the case of germs but if you take it out of the germ context and just move it into the why do we touch our face so much i think it's just because it feels good to touch your skin Not just your face, but any, like your arm, anything like that is a kind of non-sexual self-pleasure.
0: Yeah. And we don't do that often. Like I did a yoga class recently where we started with dancing and then after the dancing, we just took a few minutes and went from our toes to our head and just touched every part of our body. Just the healing act of touching yourself. And no, it wasn't like that. I see your face. (laughs)
1: i just heard you say every part of every this part of our body and I was just, why can we
0: not say that i touched my body without everyone going oh she's kinky and why can we not use the word pleasure without the same weren't we thing? just
1: listening to ariana grande in the kitchen while we were making breakfast touch my
0: body i'm so into
1: you yeah touch my body like that's what we're talking about i don't think she was talking about a yoga retreat
0: <laughs> <laughs> i know but can it Can we not have both, please? Yes. I would like to be able to say that I did a yoga thing and touched my body without you immediately assuming it was sexual.
1: Well, yeah, but I'm also like every other 41-year-old male, I have sniggering like 13-year-old kid stuck in my psyche who is going to be forever laughing through his fingers. (laughs) so we're just allowing for that I don't want to derail it because I I want to hear your thought and I I don't want that 13 year old punk to derail what I'm sure is going to be a really cool thought so go back back to that incessant touching
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes so struck me in the moment of doing this practice of touching our legs our knees our thighs arms that these are all places we just ignore touch so often we're We don't touch ourselves. Even when we do, we do it so mindlessly. We're just washing or, yeah, like you said, our face. We don't even realize we touch our face that many times a day. We need science to tell us that it's actually happening. we're like, really? As we touch our face? What is that? I'm curious. This is what I'm thinking about. Like, why have we lost so much of that sensation? And I guess I'm not that interested yet in why have we lost it within the realm of sexuality. I feel like we can take it out of that and maybe see it more simply and see its benefits and then maybe it moves into sexuality so I am also thinking about how do you realize these things about yourself and your senses and what feels good and then have conversations with your partner around how it does play into your sexuality together and like hmm I've realized this about me and why are those awkward conversations to have and how do we have them and should we and things like that that's that's what I'm thinking about these days what have you to say about any of that?
1: <laughs> I have a question that might make you feel a little uncomfortable. What is your relationship to the most stereotypical thing that comes to mind when the word self-pleasure comes out? Because we always hear about, I was talking about the 13-year-old, the metaphorical 13-year-old boy, but I was also a 13-year-old kid at one point, and Masturbation is just kind of what you do when uh, at the top of each hour. <laughs> uh, what about you?
0: I mean, why Why do you want to talk about that? Because it's part of this conversation. Th- this actually is exactly am I taking, what I'm am saying. Am I taking it back
1: into the realm of... I'm just curious.
0: So you think I'm going to share that with you over a podcast? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, either this is the open marriage or it's the, it's the partially ajar, uh, cra- <laughs> the window cracked like three degrees open marriage. Uh, and I think we got to be fearless. Like now you're getting uncomfortable and you're like, oh, you you told me it was going to be the open marriage and we were all cool talking about polyamory and, but now that it's getting close to home, it's like, Oh, let's just uh, put these microphones away.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I get it. I totally. Under, okay. I will try it. my best. Okay.
0: I never knew about masturbation. I just didn't, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know it was a thing. I'd never heard that word. No one had ever talked about it. I'd never seen it. I had nothing. I had no context at all. I don't know how long that lasted. <laughs>
1: That's a, am- but that's amazing. Like, that's okay. actually, aren't you curious about that? Like, that I am, is-
0: but actually, I have to go back. Maybe that's not fully true and see this is, this comes down to what do we choose to let in or not. But I hear that and I think that can't be true. It can't be. And then I think about high school youth group. So I guess maybe I heard about masturbation, but not from females. So I didn't think that was something we did.
1: We were in super evangelical fundamentalist Christian land, which sounds like the most amazing theme park on earth. It was just a different environment.
0: Yeah, but there was... Girls
1: don't have sexual urges. It's just the guys. And so we need to separate you at church camp and have the sex talk with the guys. And the girls, I don't know, went off and presumably were not being told to stop masturbating 10 times a day. It was just treated much different approach. So when was the first time you learned about masturbation? Don't tell me it was... A minute and a half ago when I I brought it up.
0: (laughs) I do not know, honestly. I think in college. Really? In college?
1: (laughs) Whoa, that's like the masturbation version of like 40-year-old virgin territory.
0: I just had other ways to explore that as well. I always had a boyfriend or something. Yeah. So You're allowed to say that. Okay. <laughs> That's not news to you, is it? No. And I'm, so and I'm I was playing and that. exploring yeah. in, with that in other ways, and it, it hadn't dawned on me. I didn't know. Again, maybe it did, and I'm not remembering, but I do remember in college, eventually, I was like, oh, is this, is this masturbation? Is that what I'm doing? <laughs> and I do remember having a dip of depression during that time, because I thought for sure that given the community I was in, it was a shameful act.
1: This is everything about learning about your body, like being open to okay. pleasure and what feels good.
0: I wanted to talk about them in theory. I wanted to talk about how do you begin to talk about talking about sex? I was not ready to go into being thrown into the deep end and trying to talk about sex with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm a very nosy, curious person. And mm-hmm. so this podcast is kind of a guilty pleasure. This uh, guilty Pleasure. Pleasure. Oh, oh, thematically appropriate. Uh, uh. So, yeah, it's a guilty pleasure for me because some of the things that come up in this podcast, like all of the stuff's personal. I mean, the polyamory stuff, like our marriage almost like breaking down irreparably, all of that is crazy personal. And this is personal too. And so,
0: I think the difference. I'm curious
1: about the difference. So,
0: The difference is that we have come out the other side of that and I have a level of confidence and security around it. And Mm. this is like real time where it's like, oh, geez, you know, we're 40 years old and still struggling to talk about sex. Not so much you. I mean, I feel like you're very open and comfortable and and I still have a secret code you have to figure out. (laughs) (laughs) Like Like, how brave. That's what I meant to say.
1: I mean, that is actual right now in the moment. I'm cringing. Bravery because yeah, and it, blushing. it is that discomfort that I'm sorry, listeners. The things we are talking about or the things that we're being vulnerable about are things that people would normally only talk about with their therapist, with the door closed with 20 inches of soundproofing around the room. like, And we are, for some self-destructive reasoning, <laughs> deciding to talk about them in open. And all of it, I mean, different people are going to have different, like, oh, that's way too personal. Why are they talking about that? Responses to different areas of things we're discussing. And everybody's going to have different sensitivities. And so when those sensitivities come up for me, it's not about point the finger and I retract my 40 year old virgin comment because we all find out about these things at some point in our lives. And you know, Liz Gilbert's amazing period novel, The Signature of All Things. A big part of that book is, what's her name, Thelma Whitaker? No, I don't think it's Thelma. Dang it. I hate it because that's such a good book that I feel like I've just thrown shade by forgetting the the name of the protagonist. But I think there was a box of books that she inherits or something, and she finds a book in there about pleasure. Like, it's this really shameful old Victorian book, like the Marquis de Sade, somebody who was writing about sex back in that time where you just did not talk about it, and it was such a taboo issue and she ends up taking the book into the broom closet and and she even talks about the code words that she uses for her clitoris and all of these different things because female pleasure is something that we are very intimidated by because we're we're very comfortable with the idea of male appetite of male pleasure as evidenced by like how easy it was to talk about the horny teenage boy motif but The idea of thinking about a woman having these unquenchable appetites, such an appetite that she can't even fully get it met without helping supplement with her own involvement in that process. And so I think that is something that all of society is right there beside you getting comfortable with. How do we get comfortable with female appetite, ambition, sexual desire, all of these things? They've been very uncomfortable for people for a long, long time.
0: Yeah, it's not even necessarily thinking about society at large or even myself, how comfortable I am, and certainly not you. It's this vague notion that some cool girl squad is just going to laugh at me and <laughs> just like, oh, you haven't sorted out your sex stuff yet. I don't know what that is. Did you,
1: did you feel that when you were actually in that high school mean girls kind of context where there actually were the lunch tables with the cool kids and the, but you were one of the, like you were the popular kid. Like you were, I know you hate when people run down like your popular kid bona fides, but (laughs) you were the homecoming queen and you did really well in that game in high school. Why would one of the most popular people from our high school of how many people were in our high school? Like 4,000 people who are the mean girls that are going to step to you? <laughs> like, and, and why now are you still feeling that level of insecurity?
0: I think it has to do with feeling incredibly naive and innocent around that, which I somewhat value, but also an ignorant. We might add to that too. I guess I feel very instantly out of my depth. When exactly was I supposed to figure all this out? Between which boyfriend or which child was I supposed to <laughs> mm-hmm. get my master's degree in my own sense of pleasure? And- I was gonna say masturb's degree. Jeez. Being a teenager, of course it's undeniable then. And after that, it starts to get a little bit more airy. It comes and goes with how you feel in life and stresses and things like that. And so you don't always feel really turned on or aware of that. It's easy to push down and dismiss and and you realize, oh shit, better do something with this if I want to.
1: Yeah. It is so pleasurable. And it's so sad that, I mean, we're talking about the fear of pleasure in evangelical Christian circles. The more fundamentalist you reach on that continuum of Christianity, obviously, the more the paranoia grows around kids with all these urges and what they're going to do with that and what kind of Pandora's box you're going to open by allowing them to stoke those fires. I understand the fear of sexuality in that community because there is such a premium put on monogamy, on social order, on pair bonds. And so that's where a lot of that Christian purity culture becomes so detrimental. But even with, like, I'm thinking of my own case, there was a fear of male pleasure as well like it was not just fear of female pleasure we were in a bible study and one of the big parts was having accountability partners this is like the person who's going to help you avoid sin it's almost like an aa meeting where you like have your sponsor who you can call if you're like about to go on a bender like this was the high school christian teen for god version of that and one of the questions that we asked each other every week was, did you go to the gym? <laughs> it's so dumb. I mean, it's it's adorable in a way. And if you had, and everyone had, because this was just such a, a routine part, and I know this from you know having candid conversations with all my friends, I remember feeling so dejected if I had, quote unquote, stumbled the previous week. And it was so... Pointless. It was one of the things when I was becoming disillusioned with Christianity and questioning that and then becoming an atheist was like, why did I waste all of that emotional effort on feeling shame over a purely generous act to myself in terms of enjoying pleasure at nobody else's expense. And this is where a person of that that worldview would pounce and say, aha, it was at someone else's expense. It was your future wife. You were defrauding her by like stealing that pleasure. And this is zero sum thinking. This is like, there's a limited American pie that we have to pleasure ourselves with. And then any bit you take out of that pie is something that you're not then able to give to your future partner. And that is just messed up. Now my whole transformation in my thinking is moving away from zero-sum thinking and moving to there is an infinite amount of pie. Focus on expanding the amount of care and concern and love that you have. And yes, the like, amount of pleasure that can be experienced by you and every other human being, because that is our birthright. Like We were born with the ability to feel these things. I wish I'd kind of been in your position almost. I would have rather have just been ignorant about it than doing it and then just being made to feel embarrassed and penitent about it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, but I I definitely still felt that. It's just I wasn't feeling it about masturbation. I was feeling it about experimenting with it in the way that I was. Sure. That, unfortunately, twisted me up in similar ways of feeling like sexuality is not something that you can fully indulge in, like you can't really enjoy it. You just have to always hold back a portion.
1: Oh, in that world, like in our previous fundamentalist mm-hmm. worldview?
0: Yeah. yeah, it couldn't just feel good. It had to also feel like something you needed to stop and something you couldn't trust and you're going to get in trouble and you should be ashamed of yourself and you guys need to get this under control. I mean...
1: Do you remember us having that conversation a while back about how automatic it is to, like when we're doing something pleasurable, to feel like we need to also pay a tax on it? Yes. Of feeling bad about this? Yes. We do that with pleasure in so many other areas. Even the idea of self-care, now that has gotten tainted. I mean, the kind of core of it is actually a really nice notion of just take a little bit of time for yourself because you spend so much time beating yourself up and kicking yourself in the teeth and feeling bad about everything and about yourself and the world and everything. Like Just take a, some time to like be kind to yourself. And now even that, again, it's that zero-sum thinking of, I can go and take care of myself and that will actually make me better able to take care of of that person who's sick or my kids or show up for somebody else. And I don't want to derail the conversation into political discussion, but that's just one area where I see people in our current moment demonizing this idea of pleasure, of Mm. treating it in a zero-sum way rather than a a non-zero-sum way, that there's like a limited amount of pleasure. And if you take some pleasure from one place, that you're denying that good from some other part of the world.
0: Mm, Yeah. Good point. I feel like we're not gonna sort out my sexuality in this one podcast or or ours, but I am very curious to change gears a little bit and let's talk about, in theory, because that's where I like to dwell. It's nice and safe. Nice and safe. (laughs) Teenagers and sex—like we kind of we got there for ourselves, and as parents, we're not too far off from that. So, before we actually have to think about these things with consequence maybe we could just play a little bit with how do we feel about that presently? How do we feel about masturbation and conversation with kids about sex and teenagers having sex, things like that, given how we feel about it all now? I mean, obviously, masturbation, you- Big fan. You cleared that up well, that it is a birthright. It is physiology. Like, come the fuck on. I can't even believe wasted all that time in accountability groups. That's absolutely bullshit. That's bullshit, folks. If you're sending your kids to accountability groups for masturbation, you need to cop on.
1: You need to copulate.
0: <laughs> it's, so sad, it's a sad. It's it's a waste of energy. There are plenty of conversations we can have around it. I just don't think it needs to look like that where it's an issue yeah. of shame and repression. So what could it look like? How do we what do we need to be careful of?
1: I need to be careful of myself for one thing. Because I still have a lot of these shame reflexes. I'm a very open person. Let's talk about the dark underbelly things that we always keep from one another and let's just get it out on the table. And oh, look, it wasn't that big a deal after all. Like it was, these are just, everyone's going through the same stuff. It only, becomes bigger and scarier when the Voldemort effect comes into play. Oh, that's the thing that shall not be named. Let's not talk about it. And that makes it seem so intimidating and so scary. So my first thing is, let's say the word Voldemort. Cool. The V word. Cool. We don't have to keep calling it the V word.
0: Are you comparing the vulva to Voldemort?
1: Yeah, Volvedemort.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, this is this
1: is how I get canceled as like, see, proof of Jason's misogyny. <laughs> he compared female anatomy to the most evil character in literature.
0: I, ha- I have to say, I'm coming for you. Oh. No, nope, that's not what I mean. Dang it. <laughs>
1: is, is this like a dress-up thing you're thinking about of like, I'm little Harry and... You, and
0: co- you can compare your own member <laughs> to he who shall not be named. Not mine. (laughs) (laughs) Herotica.
1: This is like we're we're creating a new genre of like sexual roleplay. So I still have that shame reflex somewhere in my psyche. And I don't know if that is just a little vestigial organ from growing up as a teen for God. But like our kids, this is not a sexualized thing. But like our kids know that touching their arm doesn't feel quite as good as touching other parts of their body, keeping it vague so as not to be untasteful. But they don't have shame around this. We've talked between you and I about, let's frame this in terms of manners. It's not about shaming this. It's like, we don't do that at the kitchen table, but you're perfectly welcome to do that in your room during some personal time or like at bedtime or whatever. And and I loved that, like framing it around manners because my... I immediately feel a clenched feeling of, I need to stop this. This is inappropriate. And I'm a very liberal person. And yet, what is that in me? That's like when I see my kids doing I'm almost like jumping in to pass on my neuroses to our kids. I do not want to give them that. I want to shield them from that, if anything.
0: Yeah, it actually is so shocking or jarring because it isn't in alignment with you. And I'm always like, why is he being so rude about that? Because you're not that way in general and not even that way with yourself around it. So yeah, it does seem like it's just in there. It's this reflex of how you first learn to deal with it.
1: How do we have like this total role reversal where you are, as evidenced by the earlier conversation, you're less comfortable with it in terms of yourself, but way more relaxed about it with the kids. We seem to have this weird alternate thing, like I've conquered one area, but then the other one's really difficult. And then you're still pushing and pulling
0: Mm. Gosh, thinking of role play, I really see parenting as an aspirational act. I very much parent as if I were that good around sexuality to begin with. Okay, I know that I'm somewhat squirmy and uncomfortable with some of these topics and I've not sorted them out for myself, but I know I don't want to pass that on. So with the kids, I almost act as if I have it all sorted out. I just decide like when we talk about it here and it's nice and basic too. So you can do that. You can, I'm almost retraining myself alongside them. I try and keep it as if it's a non event and as if I were that evolved person who really lived that way. And I hope I catch up to that, but you're right. It's a little bit off because it doesn't necessarily reflect where I am. It reflects where I want to be. It's
1: also easier to be generous with other people than it is to be generous with yourself. That's, I think, just a universal fact about the emotional landscape of our lives, that you never talk to others the way you talk to yourself when we think about how brutal we are with ourselves and how unforgiving and...
0: Yeah, even this conversation, I feel like you would be happy to have any conversation around it that I wanted to. I have a girlfriend who's happy, but I am the only one who's uncomfortable having these conversations with myself. I am literally not being as open and understanding with me as I am other people or or as they would be to me as I oh, see yeah. it mirrored and they're normalizing it for me, and I still am uncomfortable and cowering away like it's something to hide. or
1: Can I ask a question this is not as this is not a gotcha, and my first question was a little bit of a gotcha, but
0: not not a, int- a little.
1: A little. It was, totally tried, trapped me. it was right in line with the whole subject of the conversation. That one was not a gotcha. But we watched that Goop episode in the Goop Netflix series where the whole episode was on female masturbation and exploring your body and what feels good and learning about your anatomy. And what were you feeling as you were watching that? I was already curious. And now I'm like even more curious. Like what was your re- But you already reaction? knew
0: what I was feeling. I was definitely squirming. I was like, I don't want to be watching this with Jason. He needs to leave the room. (laughs) I'm going to sort this out in private.
1: All right, so imagine I've left the room. What are you doing now? (laughs) Nope. Tough things to talk about. Fair play to you. I have a lot of respect for you. Hmm.
0: Well, let's go back to our teenage selves. And should we or shouldn't we have been having sex, do you think? What's your thought on that? I use us because we can imagine ourselves there, but obviously we want to know this for our own children. I'm not trying to... I don't really care about that for myself. But using us as the guide and trying to figure out how do we want to communicate this with our kids. I definitely, I want everything to be open and on the table while also including restraint and responsibility in that those are key topics. And they, for me, they come up with pornography. They come up with sex and along with, Restraint and responsibility is age appropriateness. You know, we kind of, we start talking about things and learning about things before we're actually ready. And I don't necessarily feel like a teenager needs to be having sex. It's just the timing and what are they ready for or not. It's yeah, it's growing yeah, yeah. into things in stages. Totally. And honestly, there is nothing wrong. and And there is no better stage than when you're a teenager. That is its own experience. And then you kind of get the opportunity to experience that pleasure for yourself without the self-consciousness of sharing it with someone else all the way. I Mm. mean, I definitely go back and forth. I look back and I'm just thinking, we should have fucking done it. It was ridiculous how much energy we wasted. But at the same time, I also look back and go, hmm, you know, there's nothing wrong with that either. It was enjoyable and also there was no room for error of did I or didn't I totally mess that up
1: but you paid the tax because that was what you were required to do. You're not going to get off scot-free. If you have that, you're going to at least have to pay for it by feeling really, really rotten about it.
0: Yes, and this zeroes in on the question for me is how do you encourage the same behavior, which is abstinence to a degree, while not using shame? That's what it is for me because I don't want to encourage the kids to be promiscuous as teenagers. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to think that's an option not because I think there's anything wrong with sex. It's just about that responsibility piece and the timing of it. And yet I don't want to lord it over them from a place of shame. And that's why I ask this, how do we, how do we do that? So that's really helpful. You've clarified the real question for me and what's at the heart of the issue.
1: Do you remember I told you that story Chuck Palahniuk told to Joe Rogan on Joe Rogan's podcast? some woman came up to him at one of his readings. Chuck Palahniuk is the author of Fight Club and Survivor, Invisible Monsters, a ton of other books. But he had a woman, I think, came up to him at a reading and she told him this story about shame. I think a woman in her 50s. The story was that when she was a young girl, it sounded like she was probably like seven years old or something. Like she was young.
0: Yeah. What I remember is she was in her bedroom with some friends. She had some friends over and her yeah. mom came up.
1: Yeah, almost that stereotypical story of the parent walking in, like the most unfortunate moment and be mm-hmm. like, ah. But the parent made her feel so ashamed at such a young age, too, around. It was just this trauma of the parent being that angry and making her feel that horrible and having it connected to sexuality, even though she didn't know. Again, this is like the innocence piece that you're talking about. It's very black
0: and white when you're that young. It's just how the perception when your parent comes in and makes you feel a certain way, it... I mean, our brains are just so intelligent at that age. We immediately make the connection. It's this. Yeah. That's why she's that mad. It's that. So I will never do that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has no idea that it's pleasure or anything.
1: That trauma that got created in that moment, it was not attached to the blanket, like when that blanket got disposed of, the trauma stayed with her. It really did change the course of this woman's life for the worse. And it it short-circuited her ability to feel pleasure at a very Mm. young age. And that inability to feel pleasure followed her for decades. Mm. Into her 50s, some of Polanik's writing—it's not for everybody. It, it can be very transgressive and intentionally provocative and explicit. Some people might accuse our podcast of being that way <laughs> after listening to it, and, and I don't mean it to be. I'm not just trying to stick a sharp stick into people's eye by like going into these very delicate areas. But I do want to be a little bit transgressive. I think it's okay to feel uncomfortable for a second. Then there's that release of that wasn't so bad. Mm. And when I say that wasn't so bad, I mean it was that wasn't so bad to think about. That wasn't so bad to talk about.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that can be the gift of having some of these transgressive conversations. And I don't think the conversation we're having is particularly transgressive. We're just talking about like healthy sexuality. It is an interesting point, what we're passing on to our kids. And I don't want to pass on shame. I don't want to encourage promiscuity. I mean, I don't know about our daughter, but with our son, I definitely want to have that conversation with him. But with our daughter, it seems a little bit of a different thing. I don't know. That doesn't really seem like my conversation to have with her. But, mm. but is that like a gender role kind of thing of like taking the girls to one side and the, and the, I the elderly matrons speak to the girls and then, yes. The-
0: and you know, I had to check myself there and ask, is it, and I think it is. And here's the litmus test. You think it is what? I think it is a gender oh, okay. stereotype. And here's my litmus test is because I know that I could talk to both kids about it. And if I can, you can, we're mm. just their parents that's it. And
1: because I was worried about you, actually. I was like, I think, imagining having that conversation, I was like, oh gosh, would summer be okay with me broaching that subject in a uh, like, in the tasteful way? I would.
0: Yeah, it's not going to be a sit down. Like, no, no. But there are ways you just work it in. I mean, the 40 minute shower, everyone's going to know what that's about. We don't need to pretend we don't. We like. It's just gonna be out there, and I mean, we're not yeah. gonna talk about it all the time, but yeah, 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 there's no secrecy, and that's the way you normalize it across both parents, and it's not just like something only Liam and Dad know about, and
1: but here's the crazy thing: is that in our childhood, sex had all of these rules, and it was very nerve-wracking because it it was sinful, and there were all these things attached to our religious upbringing, and I felt like we were sort of able to mostly shake off those old chains of guilt and shame.
0: Mm-hmm. I wanted to wrap up with the final question. We're talking about all this, but why? Why does pleasure matter? Why is it important to talk about these things with our kids and not pass on shame in order to preserve pleasure? Like, what what's in there? What's the gem of pleasure, do you think? And again, I'm not just talking about sexual pleasure, but... Yeah. The way we live our lives and how much we allow ourselves to indulge and how good we feel at any moment.
1: Pleasure is important because life is gone in a blink. Mm. And we are the lucky ones who get to be here for these few years. Even if we get 80 of them, to me, that is still just a few years. And we have this little light of consciousness just flicks on. The switch just flicks on when we're born in this very bizarre, secularly miraculous way. <laughs> and we're conscious. All of a sudden, we can feel things, and we have a sense of smell, and we can taste and touch. And, and pleasure, as the word sensuality implies and denotes, it's tied to the senses, and that is tied to consciousness. And that is one of the things that, for all of the pain we navigate in life, all of the heartache and the people we lose and the storms that we weather, and there are lots of them, the gift that we are entitled to enjoy during that time and have the privilege of enjoying is pleasure. It's pleasure in conversations like this one, which I've enjoyed enormously. It's the pleasure of touch. It's the pleasure of the pancakes we made and ate with the kids this morning. Mm. It's the pleasure of seeing those bright yellow flowers in that bright red pot over there on the windowsill in our bedroom. Those are all of the things that we're sitting on this bed having this conversation right now. But when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to have little 2x slide reel playing through my head of yellow flowers, you holding a microphone, having a you know, conversation that's like oversharing and way too vulnerable that we're going to put out on the internet like crazy people. And it's going to be the kids playing in the next room and it's going to be everything else we're going to do today and all of the pleasure of all of those things.
0: Mm, so exactly.
1: that's why I think pleasure matters.
0: Yeah, that really underlines the significance because I think... It's easy to forget that. We, we think it's a self-indulgence or not that important. And then I listen to you talk about it like that and it feels supremely important and that we couldn't emphasize it enough. I just wonder how good can we really feel if we let ourselves and I don't know that and I really want to find out. I don't feel like it's a race. There's no rush to, let's try this, let's do that. But it's <laughs> it's more an undressing of anything. It's not like, let's try everything. It's more, oh, 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 try everything. <laughs> Sorry, is
1: that a zoo, Zootropolis? Sir?
0: Shakira, Jason yeah. loves some Shakira. I do love that song. I don't think we're there. At this current moment in society, I think women are overstressed, overworked, topped out, families, everything. And we've really cut off our lifeline to pleasure over time. And I wonder what is it like as a woman and a mother to feel that come back on and open up? And where might that take us if we let pleasure be the guide more than it has been so far, you know, through the through the early family life?
1: I've heard Sam Harris talk about that. Hmm. He wrote the book The Moral Landscape. His basic contention is that We don't know what the highest forms of conscious experience are. We have some experiences, we know them in relative terms. We know that at some points we feel higher than others. I'm feeling high, I'm feeling elated. It's just an altitude kind of thing of like, oh, I feel like I'm on this peak way up in the cloud. But even that, there's no highest peak It's just, we don't have this all mapped out. So that's what I thought of when I heard you say, uh, we don't know how good it could be or And so I hear that resonating on that frequency uh, Mm. with his comments about the moral landscape. But we definitely know that there are such things as better and worse. And we should strive for higher plateaus of experience and more freedom and potential to self-actualize and along with that self-actualization should be self-pleasure in all of its connotations sexual and non-sexual yeah Mm. pleasure good guilt shame and (laughs) bad. (laughs) don't pay that tax literally like the only irs you know or revenue equivalent that is coming to collect that tax is the bastard in your own head Mm. You can enjoy all of that pleasure guilt free, tax free.
0: Please do so responsibly.
1: <laughs> 200 tax and tag retail, 4 5, <laughs> exactly. nine over three months with a tax Don't and be a tag. Jerk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Please always seek consent. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's good.
1: This has been fun. Thank it you. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you. Will we like tap the microphones together in like a little dink
0: cheers? Dink cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Can
1: I be close to you?
0: Can I be close to you? Thank you so much for listening and sharing your time with us. Let's all keep the conversations going. If you're curious for more of ours, subscribe and hear it all. Until next time, be well.